You're listening to the 7th Generation Podcast, where we discuss topics such as health and wellness, popular culture, issues related to race and ethnicity, and our society's most pressing issues. Oh, and of course, my favorite hobby, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So sit back and listen. If you like the show, feel free to share it with your friends. Welcome to the 7th Generation Podcast, episode number four. We're now 14 days into this shelter-in-place order, and I have to say, it's a little rough. I haven't been able to train uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now for 14 days, and even though I've been doing you know, my push-ups and my squats and some bodyweight exercises... Um, which we've been doing Monday, Wednesday on our 7th Generation Instagram. Been live streaming those. Just got finished doing a workout tonight. It's just not the same. I miss uh, my students. I miss training. Um, I think that uh, I took it for granted that, um, you know, we would always have the gym there always have a place to train um even when i've been injured i've always had a place to go at least watch jujitsu and go see the guys and see um my teammates who um are training and catch up with them and see how they're doing or just sit and watch class and now i'm just kind of stuck watching youtube (laughs) ibjjf fights and some instructionals and it's just not the same. So hopefully we'll make it through this um, and we'll be back on the mat soon. But I'm not gonna lie, it's uh, been a little difficult. So with that being said, tonight's episode, we're gonna talk um, about capitalism. And I guess we can title this episode, The Sociology of Capitalism. And I think I mentioned this before, I have a master's degree and PhD in sociology. And one of my areas of study was economic structures like capitalism. I'm a big fan of conflict theory which has its roots in Marx and Marxism. Karl Marx is a bit misunderstood by the majority of people who've been socialized to think of him as the father of communism, to associate him with the former Soviet Union. He was not a member of the former Soviet Union. He was not a citizen of the former Soviet Union. He uh, spent most of his time doing um, his critiques of capitalism in England. He was Jewish, uh, a German Jew to be um, exact, and he ended up in uh, England where he started to do his uh, most famous um, work. Uh, which is Das Kapital, or Capital, 
and in graduate school were required to read at least volume one. He has three volumes of Capital, and I read all three. Um, can't say it's easy reading, certainly is not. Um, but I learned a lot about the origins of capitalism and where the system came from. And that's really what Marx was interested in because capitalism was such an interesting um, economic system that had, had emerged out of this feudal system that had dominated Europe for so many centuries. And Marx wanted to know how did this new system, how did this new revolutionary class of people, these capitalists, where did they come from? How did they create this new system? How does the system work and operate? And that was really much of his life's work. He, he wrote a big, huge stack of books on capitalism. And of course, he writes this little small pamphlet titled The Communist Manifesto. And then from there, most people, when they think of Marx, they think of, again, communism. They think of the Communist Manifesto. But most of his work was really on capitalism. And, and he had a lot of you know, nice things to say about the capitalist. He argued that, you know, feudalism was a horrible system. You had your feudal lords and your aristocratic families, your royal families who had all the power and all the wealth, and there was no such thing as private property. And he felt that this new revolutionary class of people, your capitalists, were um, much uh, better than our previous system and but yet he also identified some flaws in capitalism and I think that's just some of the stuff I've been thinking about lately I had this really great discussion in my sociology to American minorities class today um, all of our classes have gone online because of the virus and we've been holding class through zoom and we've been watching a few documentaries on different groups here in the United States. And uh, one of the series that we watch is a PBS um, produced series on race. It's called Race, the Power of an Illusion. It's an absolutely outstanding three-part series on the origins of race. It talks about where the concept of race originates from and why it comes about and how it was used to disenfranchise people and it's just a, a fascinating exploration into this whole idea of race and you know you think about you know some of the, the problems that we've had in American society and race has been one of the most significant dividing um, points that uh, we have struggled with as a society since the beginning of um, the American Republic and so anyway, within the context of this discussion on race, we were talking about, you know, the effects of slavery and the disenfranchisement of Native Americans, the theft of Native American lands. And one of my students asked me, well, how, how is all this connected to capitalism? And of course, all of it is connected to capitalism. I mean, the, the rise of capitalism is a story that is just soaked in blood. This is something that I learned when I read Capital the first time in graduate school and 
We went over Marx's work on the primitive accumulation of capital and how that whole system worked. And, you know, it starts primarily with the so-called discovery of the Americas and Europeans' uh, exploration into the Western Hemisphere and the exploitation of indigenous people and their territories and resource extraction and all this new wealth that um, is stolen from indigenous people and taken back to Europe. And during this time, you see these radical transfer economic socio-economic and political transformations in Europe and you see Europe you know comes out of the dark ages and eventually goes through you know the renaissance and eventually the enlightenment period and you see the emergence of democracy and liberty these really beautiful ideas of freedom and liberty and human rights however this idea of human rights and liberty and justice and freedom is only extended to a certain group of people and there there are people who are left out and they're left out for a reason. And it's not that these people don't play a role. They play a role. African slave labor plays a role in this new capitalistic machine that is emerging in the South. When you're talking about, you know, the production of cotton, which is that key resource that drives the Industrial Revolution or the, the production of sugarcane. Um, and, you know, the first crop that turns into this major uh, windfall of cash for the colonists, and that's tobacco. Um, and the people who grow these crops and the people who harvest these crops and the people who are doing all the work and all the labor are not getting paid to do it. These are essentially slaves. The territory that Europeans are growing these crops on our, our territories that once belonged to Native Americans and these are territories that are stolen from indigenous people. And this is such a, um, a violent, violent story. Now, you, know, you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, let's face it, there are some positives that have come with this, this ugly um, system you see the emergence of democracy these ideas that people are born with certain rights now even though those rights are not extended to women those rights are not extended to African Americans who are enslaved or Native Americans who are being pushed off their lands these are still incredible ideas that are beginning to emerge and eventually, you know, we begin to extend these ideas to other groups, groups that were once oppressed, right? Are able to enjoy the same liberties as others, but it takes such a long time and there's so much bloodshed in the process. And that's what we were talking about today as it concerns capitalism. And, and one of the questions that again came up is, you know, how is capitalism connected to race and racism? And I, I love that question. We hardly ever ask that. It's a very important question that we sh we should have been asking ourselves long ago. And and there's been some smart people who definitely have attempted to answer it. And um, I think that uh, the concept of race, and I, most scholars who study this area would agree that the concept of race is invented to justify 
modern slavery to justify the enslavement of people who are stolen from their homeland and taken, you know, a million miles away, it might as well be, to a new territory to work for free for the rest of their lives. Uh, a system, again, that justifies, and I'm talking about the system of racism, is used to justify the slaughter of Native Americans, the stealing of indigenous territories, the stereotyping of Native people. You know, I'm Native American, and ever since I was a kid, I recall hearing the stereotypes. Oh, you guys are uncivilized. You guys are savages. You guys are drunks, and you guys are lazy, and you're this and that, and so on and so on and so on. These ideas and these stereotypes are used against us to justify the violence against indigenous people. And the same stereotypes are used to justify the violence against African Americans. And, and so when you look at the history of capitalism, it's just such an ugly system. And of course, Marx said the fatal flaw of capitalism is that the, the point of the system is ultimately to make money. It's not really to make our lives better. And he argued that, you know, the point of being a human being is not to work in a factory for 15 hours a day or to work in a steel mill. I mean, we had steel workers who were working 13 days straight. The last day they would work a 24 hour shift. They would get 24 hours off and they would do it all over again. And when these workers organized and wanted better pay, wanted to have more control over the working conditions, um, they were murdered. You have a long history of workers uh, being murdered by uh, their corporations. And I would even argue that today some of this is still ongoing. Not so much here in the United States, but certainly in third world countries where people toil in factories for long hours, for little pay, people who are inhaling, you know, all kinds of toxins and all kinds of uh, pollutants to make commodities that we consume here in the West. And then you can, again, look at our own history here. Um, you know, we hardly have any unions any longer. I'm lucky enough to work for an institution that has a union. And I know there's a lot of folks that probably don't like unions, but unions were at one time very powerful in this country and they protect workers' rights. And you're very lucky if you have a job that has a union. You have people who lobby on your behalf. I mean, we have people who they, they go and they lobby on my behalf to ensure that I have the best health care, that I have good pay, that my, my rights as a worker are not trampled on. Most Americans don't have this any longer. And these are some, some of the things that Marx talked about, you know, the antagonism, the class conflict between the worker and the capitalist, and you still see this today. So 
some of the pushback that I get, and I even got it today in my class, is, well, are we supposed to all be a bunch of commies? <laughs> or should we uh, turn towards socialism? And, you know, I look at communism and I, I look at the history of communism and I, I laugh. It's, it, communism was equally as destructive as capitalism, in some cases more so. So by all means, I'm not a fan of communism. I've been accused of being a communist by some of my students and I laugh because I'm like, communism is definitely not my cup of tea. Um, I just have this feeling that we could do better, that human beings are smart enough to create a system that isn't so exploitive and a system that works better for human beings. And some of the things that I've, I've just been reflecting on, I guess, being in the shelter in place mode is here we are so concerned about our economy and you can just see how fragile the system of capitalism is, is that if we don't have people out there buying this and that, buying things they probably don't need, buying things that they may not even use or something that they may use once or something that might sit in their closet. I mean, you have people who buy clothes that they never wear, shoes that they never wear, gadgets that they rarely use. It's called consumerism. I mean, there's some people, that's how they get joy out of life. And you can see how consumer, consumerism is such a major aspect of our, our culture today. And I, I just wonder how healthy that is. And I, I think about if, if America is, you know, such a wonderful country, which I believe that it is. I often wonder why, if we're such a, a, a wonderful country, which I, I believe in my heart that we are an amazing country. And I, I believe, you know, strongly that, you know, America is, you know, the beacon of light for so many people. But then I, I look at how many people are on mood enhancers and these psychotrophic drugs because they're depressed. You have folks who are fairly well off and have nice cars and nice homes and a quote unquote good job. And they're on Xanax. They have all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of depression. They're struggling with this issue and that issue. And so I, w I just wonder how sustainable this system is, not just economically speaking, because obviously it's not a very sustainable system if a virus can come along and in a few weeks can throw us into a recession, possibly even a depression. But the, the toll that it takes on us that, you know, we just, in some cases, can't think about other things besides what we want. I want a new car. I want a new iPhone. And we lose sight of the things that really truly make us human. And that's our connection to our families, our connection to our loved ones, our children, time, having time to spend with the people that we care about. And, you know, I hope that, you know, there's families out there who are spending more time together, enjoying, um, 
time with their families, time with their kids. I'm sure there's some families who are spending more time now than they have in the previous decade. And when you think about it, that's kind of sad that we would have to go through this type of um, tragic health crisis to get to that point to where we spend more time with our families. Um, so again, you know, back to what I was talking about in regards to just what I've seen lately with the system. And I, I think one of the things that has gone wrong with capitalism is that we rely so much on these multinational corporations to make sure that this system is running properly and, and maybe the system is only working really for them. I wonder if this $2 trillion package is really for us, the American worker, the American families, or is it really for the capitalist? And I get it. Hey, you know, these capitalists, the argument is they employ people. Without them, there's no jobs. I completely understand that. However, maybe there's something wrong with the system where in one month, it could fall apart to the point to where millions upon millions of people are laid off and lose their jobs. I mean, last time I read it, the unemployment rate, you know, is over, you know, 3 million American workers. Who knows how many millions of American workers have just checked out and aren't even counted. Again, I just think that we could create a better, more just system. What that system would look like, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time believing that this version of capitalism is the only version that we could create. Maybe capitalism needs to be dismantled. Maybe these banks shouldn't have all this power. Maybe corporations like Amazon and Walmart shouldn't have as much control over the economic system. I mean, I look at what happened in 2008 with all these people who lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost their retirement, and it wasn't their fault. And what did the American taxpayer have to do? They had to bail them out. And what was the mantra? Too big to fail. These banks were too big to fail. And I think that's one of the major issues with the system today is that it's gotten so out of control with these multinational corporations with all the power that they have. I mean, if you look at it politically, they have so much influence. With the Citizens United decision, which you guys should look it up again, Citizens United, the corporation has the has the power to um, spend all kinds of money in the realm of politics under the guise of free speech. This is a form of free speech, being able to give money to politicians to be able to influence your political views. And we don't have this power. Of course, corporations, if you give them that kind of power, they're going to use it to their benefit. Why wouldn't they? 
I mean, I just have a hard time believing a corporation is a person. I've never seen a corporation go to jail. Corporations kill people all the time. I mean, I know we have white collar criminals like uh, Bernie Madoff. Every now and then these people get caught, they go to jail. But after the 2008 collapse of our economy, I mean, not one major banking CEO went to prison. Very few people lost their jobs. In fact, people were given bonuses, millions and millions of dollars in bonuses. And the argument was, well, this is how business is done. And I was thinking to myself, well, if that's how business is done, maybe we shouldn't do business like that any longer. Maybe these banks shouldn't have this much power. And then how much do we really need? And do we need all this stuff? That's another problem with the system. If we don't go out there and buy a bunch of stuff we don't really need, the system falls apart. It comes to a halt. So what do we need to do to make sure the system is humming along? We need to go out there and buy iPhones. We need to go out there and buy, spend our money on cars, spend our money on Disneyland, go out there and buy fast food, go out there and buy all the things that Madison Avenue is telling us that we have to have. If we don't have this, people aren't going to like us. We don't have the right clothes. If we don't have the right hat, if I don't have the, the right bag, or you don't have the right makeup, you're going to die sad and lonely. Nobody's going to love you. Well, maybe your mother will, but only your mom's going to love you. There's something wrong with that type of system. There's something unhuman about it. And again, that's why I think so many people are depressed. You buy all this stuff, but is it really truly adding value to your life? Is it making you a better person? And I'm not saying there's something wrong with making, I'm a business owner. I'm a terrible capitalist. I own a business. I, I, I'm on the side of anybody who, who owns a small business. I mean, small businesses employ over half of Americans. Mall for small businesses. And, but this focus on stuff and if we don't, if we're not producing just all this crap that harmful to our bodies, harmful to our minds, harmful to our children, harmful to the environment. I mean, there's things that we, we truly need. We need water. We need clean water. We need clean air. We need a healthy environment to live in. We don't need a new iPhone. We don't need a new car. And if you look at the studies and you buy something, you're excited momentarily. Momentarily, you get this little rush, but it's so fleeting. It's over so quickly. And you have to get that rush again. It's almost like we're addicted to a drug. And that drug is stuff, buying stuff, mindlessly consuming. Anyway, these are some of the things I've been thinking about and reflecting on. And I know tonight's episode's probably... A, 
little less lighthearted. Um, again, I'm a sociologist. These are the things that I think about, especially since, you know, this whole situation has gone down. I, I'm uh, really interested in, you know, what's going to happen to our economy and what's going to happen to Americans. And, you know, I'm all about the working class person. You know, my father's a working class man. He raised me to, you know, be a hard worker and to care about, you know, people who were struggling. And I see Americans struggling to get by and I see all this credit card debt, over a trillion dollars in student loan debt. The average American family has $10,000 in student loan debt because the cost of living is just outrageous today and unfortunately our wages are not keeping up with inflation so we simply don't make enough money so what do we do we get ourselves some credit we just swipe that card so I'm gonna take a little break here and I'll come back in a couple seconds and we'll finish up our show. Okay, welcome back everyone. Uh, took a little short break there, grabbed me a glass of water and let's just jump right back into this discussion here but before we do I just wanted to say that I do not have any scripts at all uh, not yet anyway um, at some point in time maybe if I get good at this podcasting thing and obviously I'm a total amateur at it um, hopefully I'll get a little better and as I do I can develop some scripts but as of right now I'm just kind of um, speaking off the cuff so um, I'm not uh, writing anything up I have a topic and I just kind of run with it so um, so the sociology of capitalism I don't want to take up too much more of your time here um, again this is a uh, not necessarily a light-hearted discussion. And it's not even a fun discussion, at least for the majority of people. And most of us don't even want to think about, you know, the pitfalls of capitalism. We just want to we just want a job. We just want to be able to pay our bills and we just want to be able to, you know, have something. Um but that's clearly being threatened right now. So anyway, I just wanted to, you know, just talk about let's talk about the positives of capitalism. So people often accuse me of saying well you always talk about the negatives of what's going on in the world let's talk why don't you ever talk about the positive things and you know there are some positive things with this economic system and I think of you know something like modern medicine I mean uh, we have all these amazing doctors out there that are working on identifying some type of drug that might be able to help people get over the coronavirus and we have MRI machines and CT scans and all this amazing 
technology that we didn't have prior to the Enlightenment period and this new capitalistic system that has produced much of this amazing technology. So by all, by all means, I am uh, one of those people who um, likes the fact that if I get sick, I don't go to the doctor very often by all means, but if I do and I get an infection that I can get my hands on some antibiotics or some antivirals or that when I injured my knee, I can go in and get an MRI and find out exactly what's wrong with my knee. So that's definitely a positive aspect of capitalism. Um, the technology that we have is pretty incredible. I mean, the fact that I can do this and I could utilize Zoom to reach out to my students right now during this, this difficult time. I can do live streaming. Uh, that's pretty awesome. The emergence of democracy that comes around around the same time as capitalism is emerging. I'm not saying the two ideas are are married. They are not. We often equate capitalism with democracy, but certainly democracy has um, come along around the same time as capitalism. Private property. Women's rights. Women didn't always have the same rights that they enjoy today here in the United States. It's been a hundred years since women earned the right to vote. And these are all positive things. Human rights are all aspects of modern society. And, you know, when you think of modern societies, you have to think of capitalism. And I'll give our capitalistic brothers and sisters out there uh, some credit for um, some of these really great ideas centered around democracy and private property and women's rights. Some of the cons of capitalism. Marx identified this. It's an exploitive system. The whole system is built around exploitation. It's not about bringing you what you want or what you desire. It's about creating wants and creating desires, creating a fetish. I got to have that. I got to buy that. You see the commercial enough and then, you know, man, that seed's planted. Everybody else has got it. I got to have it too. Exploiting workers. I mean, this is certainly one of the early problems with capitalism. It's still a problem today. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we don't have any factories left in the United States. I mean, we do have some. That's why most of our goods come from China, because Chinese workers will work for very little pay for long hours. Chinese factories don't have to worry about our OSHA regulations. So the exploitation of workers in this country is still a problem. My biggest concern about the system is the destruction of the Earth. I mean, if you look at some of the satellite images of um, the city of Wuhan, where the, the virus originated from, 
and you can see how the air pollution has disappeared at least much of it has now they're going to ramp up these factories again they're going to ramp up uh, these industrial machines and then once they do trust me the air will be filthy again but people's lives will be extended at least a few years as a result industrial pollution is incredibly problematic i mean we have children here in the valley can't even go outside to play because they have asthma and there's times during the year where children are not allowed to go outside and play because the air quality is so poor i mean that's in part due to capitalism we can do better i'm sorry so the destruction of the earth you know i'm i'm native our responsibility is to not just our families not just our children not just our communities but also to our environment our, our environment provi- provides everything the clean air the clean water that we once had the soil all of that has been polluted primarily because of this industrial capitalistic machine climate change is you know major concern of mine again the whole concept of the seven generation will, will our great 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 grandchildren enjoy the things that we enjoy today i'm not so sure mindless consumerism and the endless drive to own stuff i mean my god how much do we have to have and you have people who have so much stuff stuff they don't even use certainly stuff they don't need we're just wasting our money sometimes we don't even have the money to buy this stuff we use our credit card we think we have to have it other people have it i mean that's one that's one of the clever aspects of capitalism i mean we there's this this human drive to want to belong and if you're the uncool kid at school who doesn't have the fancy phone the fancy clothes the fancy this and that i mean you're going to feel not very good about yourself i remember growing up as a poor as somebody who was poor and seeing kids who had new clothes and seeing kids who had nice stuff and um you know, I always felt a little bad about myself because I didn't have as much the winner take all version of capitalism is certainly problematic the fact that these multinational corporations always win they always get their way and it seems like you have winners and losers in this system and the winners are always the capitalists the banks the power elite as Seabright Mills calls them and far too often us in middle america are losing the workers are losing the underclass is certainly losing and how much money do you really freaking need I mean I should I, I as far as I'm concerned there should be a cap on how much money you should be able to make and after you make a certain amount of money that the money should be invested back in our communities invested back in our societies into our education system I mean really truly how many billions does one individual have to have I I'm just not so sure one person should be worth you know 60 million dollars i don't know how much who the richest person is it's probably bill gates 
and who knows how much money the man's worth. And I know what people are going to say. Well, this is, these are the investors. These are the people who make the system work. And that's the problem. <laughs> that's part of the problem with capitalism. You know, we rely on just a handful of people. Constantly working. My God, we're constantly on the go. Why? To buy more shit. To buy more stuff. Constantly working. Less time with our families. Less time with our loved ones. Less time with our friends. Less time being being a human. Less time getting in touch with... You know, the creative side. Less time doing the things that really do add value to our lives. There's a commercial that I used to show my students and made me laugh when I first saw it. It was a commercial on a, a, there was a, an actor, I can't think of his name. Not a big time actor, but he was talking about Americans and how we're the innovators and how we, we put a man on the moon and we don't take a month off of work <laughs> to go travel. You know, we're workers and we've done this and we've done that. And um, at the end of the commercial, he walks outside of his home and he walks straight to his Cadillac and this dude is literally selling a Cadillac. That's what he's telling us. Go buy a Cadillac, go work. Don't take vacation time. Like those crazy Europeans over there who are, you know, forced to take at least three, four weeks off every year. Whenever I go anywhere here in the United States, whether it's to our national parks or go on a little mini vacation, maybe to the Bay area, I'm surrounded around people who speak some other language than English. And I'm like, who are these people? Where are they from? They're from all over the world. Traveling the world. Then you have people who live here in Fresno who've never been to the snow. Like, I have students who've never been to the snow. I mean, the snow, it's right there. I point outside the classroom window. I'm like, there it is. You can see it, and they've never touched snow. And then I go to these national parks, and I see just hordes of foreigners. This is what we should be doing. We should be traveling. We should have time off to be able to go and travel and see the world and enjoy a few other experiences besides just trying to find out if we can knock out that rent at the end of the month pay off those credit cards so yeah less time with our families less time to do the hobbies that we enjoy like BJJ like my god one of the reasons why I got into to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is because I I um always wanted to be a martial artist as a kid. I loved Bruce Lee. I used to watch Kung Fu theater and man, I just thought Bruce Lee was the greatest and all these Chinese Kung Fu masters were just so incredible. And I always told my parents, I want to do karate. I want to do karate. I saw the karate kid back when I was, I was young, not the, the remake, not the, the, uh, Jackie Chan version, but, uh, the Mr. Miyagi version. 
Danielson. And oh my God, I wanted to do karate so bad. Couldn't do it. Parents couldn't afford it. So I got into the only martial art that was available to people from my background. That was wrestling. So I wrestled. I wasn't a very good wrestler. But it was a activity that was about as close as you know could get to martial arts. And when I saw Hoist Gracie back in UFC one, choke all those people out and win the first couple of UFCs, I was just like, I want to do that. That's like wrestling, but with a gi on. But I remember walking into uh, the first jiu-jitsu gym that I trained at. $120 a month for fees. Now, I had a job at this time. I had started jiu-jitsu late in, late in my life. I was already 30 years old. So, you know, I was an old man when I started BJJ. But $120 a month, I, I remember thinking... I had to think about it for a minute. Hey, do I really want to do this? And I was like, yeah, I want to do it. And I paid it. And then as I progressed in BJJ and I started thinking about, well, never know, someday maybe I'll open my own gym. And I swore I wouldn't gouge people. I wouldn't overcharge them. And that's why I'm a bad capitalist. You know, I've got me a spot with a mat and some mat cleaner. And that's all I really care about. Some people, some really good people to train with. I'm not concerned about the money. But... The reason why is I have a good job. I don't have to worry about that. And I understand these gym owners and they, they have to pay the bills and they have to earn a living. But still, come on. What about these families out here who don't make enough money to send their kid to a good academy? You know, these kids out here who would probably benefit from doing BJJ. But, you know, their parents can't afford it. That's a problem. Again, the credit card debt, the student loan debt, student loan debt's over a trillion dollars. You know, if they really wanted to help Americans out, you know what you could do right now? You could just cancel all student loan debt. I mean, there's people, I know people who are fifty dollars to $100,000 in debt. Imagine what it would do for them to just cancel their student loan debt out. Imagine that. Um... There are some people who are, you know, paying five hundred to a thousand dollars, maybe even more a month. Cancel that debt out. Credit card debt. Average family over ten thousand dollars in credit card debt. I've been there. I've been there. I'm no longer in credit card debt. And these economic stresses—they're rough. <laughs> they are rough. Anyway, these are just some of my thoughts and reflections. I hope that if we could find some kind of silver lining through this tragic health crisis that we're currently going through right now, maybe, you know, we could think about our lives a bit more and some of the activities that we engage in, are they truly adding value to our lives? Are we staying relevant? I mean, look at our jobs. Look at all the people who 
are out of work. Maybe we should think about the work that we do and is it really benefiting our society? Are we essential? I've been thinking a lot about that. Essential workers. And there's millions of, of Americans are kind of questioning themselves right now, thinking, well, if what I do is not essential, how long before my job is completely phased out? Anyway, something to think about. The fragility of capitalism is something for all of us to think about. I know it's unpleasant. It's not fun to think about these things. It's far more exciting to think about what am I going to watch on Netflix tonight? When I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to get back to season three of Ozarks. At some point in time, I'll do a review of Ozarks. Outstanding, outstanding Netflix show. Check it out. It's on. We're up to season three now. Yeah, it's unpleasant. Who wants to think about this stuff? That's why so many people sit in front of the TV set mindlessly at night. It's because they're worn out. They just want to escape. Who wants to think about capitalism? <laughs> Who wants to think about debt? Who wants to think about you know things that are in some cases completely out of our control? Nobody really wants to think about this stuff, and I completely understand because I personally. Even though I'm a sociologist, there's times where I'm like, man, I need to stop thinking about this stuff. And right now, I think it's about time for me to stop talking about this stuff. So I'm going to sign off. And I'll be back hopefully soon with a more lighthearted episode. We'll kind of switch it up a bit. We'll go from the sociological discussions of issues related to maybe capitalism. I want to do a episode on psychopathy versus sociopathy and maybe something on corporate crime and some popular culture episodes. I'm going to do a part two to the jujitsu life episode. And if there's something anybody wants to hear about, uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram and you can send me a, a direct message there. And uh, let me know, hey, do a, a topic or uh, do an episode on this topic. And in, in the future, I'm going to get myself uh, a co-host or two. So invite a guest on here to talk with me. But until then, I'm just going to work out the kinks. I have myself a new mic. I hope you guys like it. It's a dynamic mic. I didn't know anything about a dynamic mic until a week ago. So there's a couple of different types of mics. And the one I'm using tonight is a dynamic mic. So I hope it's working out a bit for us. All right, everybody. I'll be seeing you soon or talking to you soon. <laughs>